Welcome to the Million Pound Biller Podcast, where we interview people from inside and outside recruitment to give you ideas to help you on your way to a million pound year. Now, over to Adrian Mansfield, the Million Pound Biller. And welcome to another issue of the Million Pound Biller interview podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Nick Cramp, who, amongst other things, is an author and a transformational coach. So, Nick, I'll turn it over to you now to sort of introduce yourself and tell us what a transformational coach is to start with, perhaps. Thanks, Adrian, and thanks for inviting me on. A transformational coach is a business coach who focuses on business transformation rather than business iteration. So, after 30 years of working in businesses and working with businesses, I kind of realized there's a time where transformation is needed and iteration is no longer enough. So I focus my time and energy now on businesses that have got to a certain size, but really need to majorly transform to get to the next level. So these are typically successful, what I would classify as adolescent stage businesses. They're making money and they're good at what they do, but without transformation, they can't get to the next level. They've kind of reached the ceiling of what they can do with their existing structure, people and processes. So that's where I come along and work with them on what that could look like for them. And then more importantly, how to get from where they're at to where they want to be. That sounds like really, really, and and very opportune, specifically in terms of the recruitment market. You know, the market itself is very much those sort of middle size or small size companies that are owner operated, if you like, almost the main bulk of the recruitment space. So actually, that's quite a lot of our listeners perhaps are in that kind of thought or potentially will be getting into that stage over the coming years, as it were. I wanted to pick up one of the things I've your book, Better Before Bigger, which we'll put a link to in the in the podcast notes when people uh, pick this podcast up. There's a great analogy you put in there about the idea of a, a sled in the husky sled type scenario. Yes. Um, and I hope you don't mind. I've, I've quoted it to a few people in, since reading the book. But it's that idea that as a leader of a business, and I really I really found this, it resonated with me as being somebody who's led businesses and runs businesses now. You feel like that, that front dog of the sled. You're <laughs> pulling for all your might in a direction that you want to go. And you can't see over your shoulder because of the nature of those beasts in that kind of setup. You can't see over your shoulder to see whether everybody else is pulling in the same direction or just looking around at the snow. All you know is you're pulling in the right direction. What you're trying to do with your transformation is get your your leaders to be the person at the back of the sled who can see the dogs in front of them and direct them in the right direction. Is that that kind of, am I using the allergy in the right format? You're using it perfectly. It's a really good summary, which came to me after a meeting with a client who had just been away with his family for the first time in about three years. Yeah. And they went to Lapland and he realized at that stage when he was on a, a sleigh ride, exactly that, that, you know, sitting at the back of the sleigh and being able to see the train and seeing what's coming was something he didn't have the luxury of within his business. Yeah. And with his business, as you say, he was that lead husky. And he didn't know if the other huskies behind him were hanging on cruising, you know, whatever, it was difficult. And the other thing is that you can't see the train. Yeah. You can't see what's coming. And I think it's a very good analogy in business because as the last two years have shown us, sometimes there's a bigger picture being played out that you need to get perspective on. And just more of the same, i.e. running quickly at the front, mm. is not actually what's needed. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, that, as I say, that analogy really resonated with me and I'm sure it will resonate with many leader operators of businesses out there because that that concept of just being a person that's almost constantly pulling everything along rather yeah. than necessarily the person that's setting the tone and 
we've spoken on this podcast before about the idea of in your business or on your business yeah uh, being a big thing and, and you you bring up the, the conversational piece in your book about the idea of a strategic view of your business and the operational view of your business and that those two are very much different different pieces yeah. of the process it, I must admit, it's one of those things when I was running my own businesses, I never got the right balance. Mm. And I was all day on operations. Yeah. I would start most days with the best intentions and have my strategy items listed. Mm. And then at seven o'clock in the evening, I went back and found that list and realized <laughs> for the last 12 hours, yeah. I had just been doing operational fires because A, it's easy. Mm. They're in front of you. Yeah. B, they're loud and shouting. Yeah. And see, they're familiar. Yeah. And, and I think all of that stuff we're attracted to. And the strategy stuff for a lot of business owners is the more challenging piece of work. Yeah. When you're sitting there with a blank piece of paper and it's got 2022 strategy on the top and there's nothing below, mm. that's a scary day yeah. <laughs> or an exciting day, depending where you're at. Yeah. But it's that piece of work which I think is the harder piece, which leaders need to kind of focus on and it's very easy to say oh we'll get around to that later mm. i'll just do this month we just need to hit these targets first yeah and they never get round to that bigger piece of work and i think it's particularly relevant when business get to a certain size mm. because the owners being become more trapped almost by the business they've created yeah and particularly in recruitment as they're adding more people then it's this hub and spoke model where they've just got more spokes going round to them. Yeah. And on one hand, it's great, but on the other hand, there's overwhelm, isn't there? Yeah, and uh, you know, one of the things that I sort of struck me as I was saying, reading your book and looking at the stuff around it is that you know you look at so many recruitment businesses, successful ones, and we talked a bit about before. You mentioned the idea of adolescence of a company, but as you've yeah. said to me before in, in conversations, adolescence can be any almost any age. Really. You're not talking about a company no. adolescent by traditional standards, you know, a company with 10 or 15 yeah. years of success can still be technically adolescent because that kind of concept of recruitment is very much that, you know, a good salespeople for one of a description become good recruitment consultants, become owners of business because they think they can do it themselves and then potentially become very successful doing that and bring other people in around. But a yeah. lot of recruitment companies still very much centered on that individual or individuals yeah. in the center of that hub. And they never really get out of their own sort of growth restraints, if you like, because they don't get that, the fact that everything comes through those individuals in the centre and they're probably not enjoying themselves. As you mentioned in your book, it's probably not very much enjoyment for the individuals in the centre of that hub at that point. Well, it's, it's this contradictory situation where as you look from the outside in and you think, well, that's a successful company, they're doing well, they're making money. Mm. But it's that swan-like analogy, isn't it, where they're working very hard behind the scenes to make it seem like that. Yeah. And it's normally the owner-operator who's compromising their own personal time, yeah. their time with the family, those things to make it actually work. And one of the hardest concepts, I think, to get your head around as a business owner is this idea that what got you here might not get you there. Yeah. And that because you've achieved success with a certain way of working, that's not necessarily the model or the strategy that will get you to the next level. Because it doesn't scale. Yeah. It only gets you to a certain point. And at some point, as you say, that charismatic leader has got to step back and allow yeah. others to step forward. They've got to accept that other people can do that job almost as well as they can. Yeah. 
and almost as well is okay. That's good enough from everyone else's point of view. And then they get, if they choose to, to get to work on the strategy piece. Yeah. But it's that conscious decision that's what you're going to do which is the hardest thing i think yeah and it's it's that idea and again coming back to the, the book you, you mentioned the idea of getting out of your comfort zone and i think a lot of leaders particularly in recruitment find being the, at the coal face of what about description yeah very comforting being able to sort of deal with those fires put them out they've done it that's what they've done almost all their career yeah. and what you're saying and, and what your book's saying very much is that idea of you need to as a leader get out of your comfort zone and, and actually almost step back and say yes this will hurt for a while putting other people into those jobs and, and you being able to sort of be hands off from it. But in the long run, yeah. the benefits will be higher, much higher. Yeah. And, and I think for every business, there's a point in their business growth where they need to adopt or embrace a plateau period where you just slow down the top line growth for a time to give the business a chance to recover and improve. We've all had a really tough 20 months. Yeah. And people's energies, ideas, enthusiasm are low. Yeah. And for business owners to stick in front of them now a, you know, we need to grow by 20% next year kind of target, you're just going to get a lot of kickback. If not verbally, you're going to get it internally from people saying, really? Yeah. You know, and now I think it's a really good time for people to create this better business. Yeah. And rather than just driving, 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 just, as you say, grab a breath, get a bit of detachment and say, well, hang on a minute. Is there a different way we can do this? Does what we're currently doing actually still work in all areas? Yeah. And giving yourself that lovely possibility of stopping doing certain things that no longer serve you, mm. just because you've always done them, doesn't mean to say you should be doing them. Yeah. And then working with your team to recreate What's different? What's new? What could you be doing? You know, we've all learned a lot over the last 20 months, but have we actually spent time considering what we've learned and then adapting our business with that information? You know, we now know that we don't have to drive two hours for a meeting. And there's very few meetings in our diaries that now warrant not doing a Zoom. Yeah. And, and, but how does that play out in the business model? Mm. What changes then because of that? Because that takes a lot of cost out most businesses. Mm. And where can you kind of transform the business because of that? So, yeah, I, th I think now more than ever, there's a need for leaders to think, OK, do we need to actually be bigger next year? Mm. Or could we make better profits? You know, hit the same turnover. Yeah. But how about we lower costs? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it comes back to that idea of what's better for the company, what's better for the individuals, because, you know, so many of these owner operators that I talk to, you know, particularly over the last 20 months, but even before that, you know, you ask them about when was the last significant holiday you had? You yeah. know, I, most people that I would ask have had none or very yeah. few. And maybe if they're lucky to have a partner in the business that's sort of, you know, 50-50 share or something like that, they might be able to turn off for a few days. But, you know, they're always constantly on the business. Yes. Um, but this model that you're talking about gives the people that chance to not be so day-to-day -day intrinsic to what the business is doing and to step back that a bit further and be able to say, actually, I can take some time away and, and do what I need to do to recharge my own batteries to come back to the business better. Yeah, and I think it boils down to trust in the people that work for you. Yeah. And it's a case of 
trusting that what you've put in place in terms of people, processes, systems is strong enough that you don't actually have to be running them. You know, you've got a good operational manual, which explains the way we do things here. You know, you look at the most successful franchises like McDonald's, you know, me and you could buy a McDonald's franchise if we want to tomorrow because we inherit a dirty great manual, which tells us everything we need to know about the business. Yeah. But I'm not advocating going that far, but how many businesses have actually got an up-to-date operational manual will explains, you know, how to work with a customer, how to, what the tone of voice is like for the company, what the values are, you know. And if leaders spend time on that kind of work, it means their leadership on a day-to-day basis isn't needed because yeah. they replace themselves with a process or a system and that frees them to do something different. And it's interesting because we talk about, you know, one of my colleagues, one of my friends works in this sort of space as well. And they talk about the idea that a lot of people we talk to in this space in recruitment are looking to build the company to sell, yes. getting out there to try and sell this business at some point in the future. But I think there's a stat that was a local accountancy practice here in the Midlands did an assessment, something like 0.2% of recruitment companies get sold yeah. for any significant amount of money. And by that, you mean multiple millions, if you like. Most of them don't get sold. And I think part of the reason is because of the issues you're talking about here is it's all so intrinsically linked to those one or two individuals that why would anybody want to buy a company yeah. that has the, those two individuals so so much at the centre of it all? There's nothing to buy, really, is there? Because they haven't got a process or a system which is different. Yeah. What they've got is a couple of charismatic people that are very good at their job and a bunch of people around them they can motivate. Yeah. But in terms of an asset, if me or you were considering a purchase for that, what are we getting for our money? I mean, there's very little there. And I think that's one of the one of the needs that they need to think about what differentiates them. You know, what is their unique source which works very well? Mm. And trying to capture what that is, how they're going to work different to others. Because recruitment is a very, you know, you know more than me, but it's a very competitive industry. Yeah. And from a client's point of view, looking out there, I don't think it's very easy to choose between recruiters. No, no it's know. very difficult to kind of, you often often have this conversation with recruitment consultants, what's your USP? And it's, yeah. there isn't that many realistically, but but it's, I suppose it's that coming back to that idea of if you're, if you as a company, come back to that McDonald's analogy, if, you're, if your process and procedures, everything is the same yes. across the businesses, you know, whoever you interact with, you get the same level of, of support, the same level of, return and, and all that sort of stuff that makes it a lot more palatable for a company the, the idea that it doesn't drop off a cliff if joe yeah. blogs or josephine blogs isn't actually the person talking yeah. to you you still get the same amount of return from the people who, whoever it is in the company that picks up the phone to talk to you those sort of these little bits of, of usps that are actually relatively easy to put in place if you spend some time putting in processes together yeah they're relatively easy but they have such high return on investment from a customer's point of view it's like going to a well-run restaurant isn't it Mm. you know if there is a good process a good service level there then you return yourself but you also tell lots of other people about it yeah i mean i've I've got some friends who work in the the restaurant business and one of the things that they say is that gordon ramsay is probably the best at that kind of model he doesn't you know he works at the highest end possible of, of dining but his his model very much is get it to the same level. So you walk into a Gordon Ramsay branded restaurant, whether it's a bread kitchen or a three-star hospital in London, the style and the functionality of that restaurant will be different, but the service levels will be the same. 
across the board. There'll be, yeah. you know, you'll expect that sort of level of, and it's, you know, so from a recruitment point of view, if you're dealing with high street end or up yeah. at the very highest boutique headhunting search engine, you can still provide that same level yeah. of, of quality service. It doesn't matter what level you're at. You just, you just put the processes in that match your goals and your business, your business why, as you say in the book. And I think the um, the restaurant analogy is a great one because one of the things that I try and encourage the leaders I work with to work on is this idea of them becoming the maitre d. Mm. So rather than them cooking the food or serving the food, they're actually the one holistically managing the experience. Yeah, they're greeting on the way in, mm. but then they're letting the rest of the team do the work. They may be checking on the experience during the evening and they're saying thank you very much and shaking your hand on the way out. Yeah. And I think for a business owner, that's a really good analogy to try and think yeah. about. Yeah. Is saying, right, what are the three touch points that you need to have with all clients and customers that yeah. means that they feel kind of they're coming into your business, but you're not having to sweat by the hot stove for seven hours or each evening. Yeah just to get the food out because you've got a chef who's good enough. Yeah. You can do that mind host bit, hostess, which for most people is the thing they love doing. Yeah. And, and taking that into a recruitment sphere, particularly that's an amazing way of getting really good feedback on the market as well. You know, yeah. coming back to the idea of strategy, you'll, by getting those, that sort of feedback, your customers, from your candidates, from whoever it is you're talking to as that major D, you're going to get much more insight into how the company is delivering against its competition, what the competition is yeah. doing that you're not, all those sort of things that kind of, you know, the maitre d' going back to your restaurant analogy would ask, oh, where have you dined before? Oh, well, what, what do you like about that restaurant? What was the, you know, what, those sort of things you get as an as yeah. owner of the business then if you've got that time to put yourself in that position. It's a brilliant analogy and a great way of thinking and about it as a business. And we're also willing to give that information if someone just asks the question. Yeah. But we, we just forget to ask the question. It's like referrals, isn't it? <laughs> you know, we're always told that referrals are our best source of new clients, but very few businesses have a referral process which automatically yeah. asks that question at a certain point in the experience yeah. because we haven't designed a process around it. It's just a random thing that we try to remember to do, yeah. and we often forget. Yeah, and I think, you know, taking a slightly different tack on this, just thinking about it from a coming out of the COVID perspective point of view, and one of the conversations I'm having with a lot of agencies at the moment is that idea of bringing some new blood into the business, particularly the sort of, should we say, the younger end, end of the market, yeah. the people with no experience who are coming into the businesses and, and the challenges of trying to deliver that over effectively a Zoom, perhaps even with a remote Teams type scenario, which a lot of companies still are operating, although there's a return to some office, but, but generally you're still looking at not full-time in the office. But again, if you go to the idea of a McDonald's and you've got a process as your business you're, you're talking about there, it's very much easier to train that process via Zoom and things like that when people know it's here. This is what this is yeah. how we operate. This is what we do on this in this scenario. This is what we do. Whereas that's not really a lot of companies don't have that. They might have a kind of well, you've got to do a number of call starts a day, or this this is what we do. This is what we expect of you as a yeah. sort of high level KPI, but not a real process behind it. And as you say, I think the whole technology is both an opportunity and a challenge, isn't it? Because mm. the companies that will do well over the next three years are the ones that have really embraced and adopted the platform, but understood the platforms, not just done that. Oh, I can switch a Zoom camera on. There we go. That's it sorted. Mm. You know, there's some amazing online training platforms where you can really, you know, people can interact with the material at their own time, their own pace, their own way. And people embracing that 
is key for this next phase because, as you say, particularly the generation come into the workforce, that's their default way of learning. Mm. That, that's all they've ever known. So in terms of us adapting to them or them adapting to us, it makes so much more sense that if I want the best talent out there, I create an experience for them which is matched with their preference. I don't try and get them into the old model because the old model is exactly that. And we all know it's far better long-term wise to grow our own talent, but it's harder work initially to do that because you're taking raw material rather than a finished article. Yeah. But going back to the idea of the leader being the major D, if that person can be more amenable to going and having those conversations about, and again, that new breed coming through now really want to see the, the vision of the company and where they're, how they fit into that. And if the major D, role can allow you to do that more you can go and have those conversations with those individuals and present the company as to where it's trying to get to and give them that vision and values piece a lot easier than you know a 30 minute conversation when they start and then forget about it for the rest of there because you haven't got time yeah and i think you're totally right that that vision and value piece is underplayed in terms of how important it is for the people coming into the business so whether they're you know employees or whether they're customers or clients or they're partners Every time I go to look at a new company, I'll go to the About Us page first because I want to know where they're heading. I want to know their backstory. I want to get engaged with the people. Yeah. And if I like the people, then I'll look at the product and the offering. Yeah. And I'm more that way around in terms of buying. Yeah. I'm kind of like, well, let's find out about this, what they're all about. And I think that most of the younger generation come into the workforce put that so much higher than maybe I did and maybe you did, mm. where it was very much a kind of, you know, what am I getting out of this? What's the money look like? What's the prospects? Yeah. That's important, but working for a company which has actually got a purpose, got a heart, mm. is essential. And yeah. I think that's where leaders need to remember, again, they've got to sell the company in the right way and position it. But that's a really challenging piece for people to do isn't it because again it's that blank canvas you know white piece of paper what yeah. do i actually believe what do our, what are our values what are our principles and it really take it really requires the, the owner to be out of the business for a period just to kind of sit in a dark room almost you know and and, yeah. and really think that through because it's not something you can do whilst trying to try to put fires out no i advocate that i think at least one day of the working week leaders should be in a different workspace this idea of having your home, your office, but then a third space, which is your creative space. Mm. When I was writing my book, I wrote my book primarily in the reception of a local hotel because it was a different space and I associated going there with writing. And they also served me great coffee every half an hour. So it was <laughs> it's always a good one. Yeah, one of, my, one of my trainers, previous trainers I worked with, had a similar sort of scenario where they basically had a uh, very high-spec spa resort type place I mean, he never used a spa resort but he went there because he loved the ambiance he just went and sat in the yeah. coffee shop there and just sort of drank coffee but but it was almost his treat to himself yeah we do four and a half days of work a week where he was literally doing his delivery and all that sort of stuff and his, his half yeah. day was his treat to himself where he would go out take himself yeah. away from everything and just set himself up in this spa resort and and have a kind of a half day planning strategy all that kind of stuff which is it's things that people can you know make that carve that space out some way shape or form yeah. and it gives you that and as you say, give yourself a gift back. You know, mm. if you enjoy playing golf, then do half a day on a Friday morning on strategy and then have a game of golf in the afternoon. You'll do something which actually 
allows you to kind of celebrate and enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. And it's strange, isn't it, that, you know, we almost have to give ourselves permission to do that. Yeah. You know, permission not to be in the office at earliest and leave latest. You know, for some people, that's the hardest thing is just letting go of those patterns yeah. because they feel that if they're not in the office, they're not working. Yeah, and it, and it comes to, I think, you know, again, if you come back to a lot of owners, operators in the current space, you ask them honestly in their, in their calm moments, are you truly enjoying what you do? And a lot of them would say no, because they almost feel like they're running around putting out, they're putting out the fires. That's, that's their, yeah. and that's not really what you expect when you go out and set up your own company, you think, oh, it's going to be brilliant. I'm going to have all this time to do all this sort of stuff. And, and all, you're, all you're suggesting with your, your book and with your comments today is, is actually, that's not beyond the realms to be able to do that. You've just got to, you've just literally got to put yourself out of the business for a little while and yeah. have that, get out of your comfort zone to, to do that almost. And I think the scary thing for most people, Adrian, is that it's outside the comfort zone. Mm. And they also think that if they don't focus on growth, that they're not going to achieve extra profit. Yeah. And I think we have a very binary relationship between growth and profit. And we confuse the two sometimes. Yeah. Because I'm not advocating that they shouldn't be focused on making more money, mm. but I'm focusing on reducing costs, improving spend per head from existing customers you know, selling more to the current customer base, those kind of strategies, I think, are far more effective mm. than just going out there and trying to win new, new business all of the time because of the cost and, you know, the acquisition cycle and all those things that you know far better than I do. Yeah. That's a competitive market out there. Yeah. But actually just spending time looking internally at what you've got most of the clients I work with have got enough customers or clients. Yeah. They don't need more. What they ideally want is those customers and clients to spend more often. Yeah. Buy more services mm. and refer more of the people. Yeah. And if they got those three elements right, then the number of new customers come into the business becomes almost irrelevant. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. you don't need that if you've created a good enough service that you get repeat buys. Yeah. Why do you need new customers? It's just kind of the model that we adopt, I suppose, when we're growing a business, isn't it? That yeah. more is better. Yeah. But at some stage, more becomes a problem. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, it's interesting when you talk about that adolescent space for business, because you're right, when you first start out as a new business, when you're, when you're in recruitment, it's such a low barrier to entry. You get people with a desk and a yeah. chair and they can go and do it. Their whole being is focused on getting new companies to come and join them and, and, and that sell of getting yeah. somebody new in through the door. And it's difficult then because as you grow and you get more and more of those companies coming on, very few recruitment companies ever turn off that tap. Yeah. They just that's sort of naturally the way they have to operate. But as you say, yeah. I would suggest, you know, coming back to that USP point, I would suggest that probably one of the biggest USP for any adolescent company, we're talking here about adolescent companies, is their client base, is the companies that already deal with because those are the companies that you know, I bought them even in a competitive marketplace, even with the whole host of other companies out there that are trying to get that company's business. And and yet we never know, no company truly makes enough of that that client base sort of growth. Oh, we've got to get more in, more in, more in. But actually what you've got already is probably your biggest USB. Use that more. And just spending time with those clients and saying, right, what are your plans for 2022? Mm. How many people do you think you're going to need to recruit? How do we work with you on that strategy? Yeah. Because it might be that if you go back to all your existing clients, there's enough business within your existing network anyway for next year. Mm. 
And you don't have to then discount to win new business. You don't have to reduce your margins. You don't have to get into all that competitive stuff. Yeah. Because your existing clients are generally going to be happy with what you provided and are going to be less sensitive around the price. Yeah, absolutely. Because they know the value of what you provide. Whereas if you're working with a new client, you know, you know more than I do, but it's a very competitive area isn't it and the yeah. margin is the bit that gets squeezed sometimes to take a client on absolutely and it's uh, it's, it's really interesting because one of the concepts i always have this conversation with about in terms of companies is, is how they sort of grow their value proposition for one about description how they get you know how they get seen as more than just a, a recruitment company and, and we all know we call it through all of us who've worked in recruitment for a long time we're second only to estate agents on the hate list um <laughs> but you talk to people and you go well you need to be more strategic you need to talk to the customers more you need to understand more of their challenges and then try and resolve how those challenges help it's amazing when you take a step back as i have over the last sort of 12 months and start to talk to more people about recruitment how many companies challenges always end up with people being at the crux of it whether it's a you know currently i've got friends of mine who work in you know the sort of well one of them works in the cheese production market he just literally makes wholesale cheese and turns okay. it into the stuff that is used by the reserve. his biggest challenge at the moment is getting people yeah. And it's so many companies' challenges, HGV businesses are struggling with people. So, so many companies' challenges are all around people. As a recruitment yeah. consultant, you're almost in the perfect position to have some of those conversations. And yet, we never have those strategic conversations with our clients. We never go and sit with them and go, I'm not looking to sell to you today, Mr. Client. I'm just trying to understand what it is your problems are yeah. going into next year. How can we you know, understand them better? Because then perhaps we can come back with, I'm not saying I can solve all of them, but I can no, no. solve one or two of them. And as you say, using the talents you've got within the recruitment agency for the benefit of the customer in different ways. Yeah. You've got a skill set there which the customer might like to get internal feedback. Yeah. You know, having conversations. One of the best things I saw last year was a, a one sentence employee satisfaction survey. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that one question was, why are you still here? Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. That's out of the comfort zone to ask that single question and just and leave it open, that open. But imagine from a recruitment point of view, if you knew why the people were still staying, yeah. wouldn't you sell that as the benefit to joining? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's just very powerful just to actually imagine going around to your company and just saying, right, guys, there's this one question and I just yeah. want to know. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, it's freeing in a way, isn't it? You've got nothing to lose by asking it because no. they're thinking it anyway. Yeah, yeah. If you can capture what's actually great about your company and then tell the recruitment consultant, right, guys, this is what you need to focus on. Yeah. It's really powerful. And I think that's just that slowing down and thinking about this analogy that you've got to kind of, you know, sometimes work slower to work smarter. Yeah. It's really important. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think I'm slightly moving on a second, but, but from a point of view of, you know, the, one of the customer markets I talk to quite a lot is the companies that are perhaps not looking to sell their business, who are looking to just see that, you know, that future cash cow business for one about description, particularly, you know, I'm not looking to get into that big space, but just looking to, to grow for maybe one, two, three person organizations, maybe a small handful, five, six people. And I think this still would resonate hopefully with those sort of individuals, because by doing this sort of work, your process is almost taking them out of that process. Anyway, they're creating that little mini team that they can then step away from almost and do much more, you know, other things, for example, just get out of the, the day to day, go and go and play golf all the time. Or yeah. I talked to somebody the other day who was who their real deep interest is in house building, so okay. building and renovating houses. And yeah. they've done a few of them, but they want to take some time away and do that. And they'd like to build a sort of second career for one about description in that space. Yeah. And this sort of model 
get into the business, get it understanding, get it built to a point where they aren't intrinsic to the business day to day and they can go and do that. It's a big group of people, isn't it, that mm. are, they're not ready to sell yet. But they can't really envisage continual growth forever because mm. they're not sure when that's going to actually ever pay a dividend. Yeah. And if you can give them this third option, which is like, hey, okay, well, just what size works for you? Mm. You know, do you want a 20 seat restaurant that you know everybody or do you want a 100 seat restaurant? You know, what's the optimal size for you? Because yeah, yeah. both work. Yeah, I know yeah. some great restaurants which are 20 seats mm. and you can't get a table for eight weeks. Yeah. And they can charge within reason you know, a premium price because yeah. the experience is brilliant. Yeah. Now, for a lot of businesses, that model would be so lovely. Mm. You know, imagine just having those repeat buyers that come once every eight weeks. You probably need no more than 200 people on your database. Yeah. You know, so Absolutely. I think that idea yeah. of designing a business which is the right size for you yeah. and then getting out the way of it for a lot of people is a really, and I think particularly over the last 20 months, we've started to appreciate that there's got to be a balance between life and work. Mm. And I've got loads of associates and friends that have spent more time with their family over this period because they haven't been doing the commute into the office and they've been able to pick the kids up from school or drop, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And we're realising now that that trade-off we had before where we were waiting for this great payday in the future is really an illusion for a lot of business because, as you say, most don't sell. But there isn't a great payday in the future. So what's that all about? Yeah. And I think for me, you know, one of the one of the absolute benefits of recruitment as a career is actually it gives you that opportunity relatively quickly, conversely, you know, to do that in in many other careers, you'd need to be waiting 20, 25 years to get yeah. to the level where you've actually got the level of skill, experience, knowledge in the market, et cetera. But you could easily at 26, 27 in recruitment be in a position where you could be doing some of this stuff yourself, yeah. take your own business out there and build it and then have a structure that means you're effectively not required in the business by the time you're you're early 30s it would be completely conceivable as a recruitment business it would and i think that one of the key things there is making sure you identify a successor as early as possible yeah you know if you're designing it from day one that someone else is going to run it then all the decisions you make during that period are very different because you're demonstrating to somebody else and you're serving that other person to give them the confidence to lead yeah, because that's what you both want. If you've mm-hmm. got that successor in place and they're happy to take on the day-to-day operational running of the business, that's the perfect scenario then, isn't it? But I think a lot of people don't think about that early enough so they don't have anybody within their business that they can hand over the sleigh reins to mm. so they carry on having to operate it because there isn't that person. Yeah, they haven't set a structure up ready to, to yeah. take that sort of leap away. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, and, and we've obviously talked a lot around the concepts here today and, and sort of talked a bit about the sort of the book. And, and obviously, again, I'll give links to the book and to your page on, on LinkedIn when we put the podcast out. But just sort of from a, from a tactical point of view, from a, coming back to a point of view of, of those people listening to this, what sort of things can people be thinking about or doing? What would you sort of say to people other than obviously – going out and getting your book, first and foremost. What would you suggest people can be thinking about doing to sort of put some of this stuff into practice? So I think the first thing is a process I coin as reframing, which is standing back enough to work out what you actually want. Mm. Yeah. You know, we've touched upon this, but unless you know where you're going and what the outcome is, then you're going to have a very random journey. 
And I think that just getting down on paper and being honest with yourself, which is sometimes quite difficult, about what it is you want and what you don't want. Yeah. Once you've done that, then you've got a different frame or a different lens to look at the existing business from. And then the second thing which I recommend is spending time reviewing what you've currently got. So this is the rethink phase. Yeah. Where there's three main elements to this. The first is differentiators. Mm -hmm. You know, most businesses work on a differentiated strategy. There's a few of us that are working on a low cost and trying to be the low cost in the market. But for most of us, we're trying to differentiate. So spending time with others, looking at what you've got and saying, actually, are we really differentiated yet? Are we differentiated enough? Because if you have got that clear differentiation, then it's very easy from a marketing point of view. If you haven't, you have to work very hard. So differentiators, think, rethink those. Mm-hmm. Stakeholder relationships. Have you got the right stakeholders? Now, by stakeholders, clients, customers, employees, partners, actually letting go of some customers that no longer serve you and giving space for better customers to come in actually letting go of some members of the team that may no longer serve you and giving space for better members to come in. That kind of period, I think, and view is really important. And then the last thing is your offering, you know, which combines the first two. But really, have you got something which is really attractive and viable? If you're narrowing this and niching this right down, who are you selling and what are you selling? You know, what is that niche that you're aiming at? I spent 30 years in range of size of businesses, and I've worked out now eventually what my niche is <laughs> in terms of market and product. Yeah. And I think that it's so liberating when you do that and basically say, right, we're not serving them. We're not looking for them. We're just looking for clients or customers that look like this, yeah. that have this profile. It makes life so much easier when you're not trying to please everybody. Absolutely. And those last two pieces really, you know, from the point of view of, of the recruitment space, I, I know, I, and I hold my hands up to this, you, you hold on to clients for too long. You, you, oh, they've been so good to us for so long. We've yeah. had it, or they were the one we, start, we started off with and we've, yeah. well, their margins are now so much lower than everybody else's. We're actually losing money dealing yeah. with those companies versus these other companies over here where we're now making different levels of business on them. And they've, but you don't, you just don't want to let go of that, that, that original company, if you like. It doesn't feel the natural thing to do, does it? But, you know, if we accept that all relationships are finite, mm. then it makes life so much easier. We know at some point, you know, all the relationships are going to come to an end. Then it's easy to look at relationships and say, well, is this the right time? Do we want to continue for another year? Yeah. Well, don't we? And it's, you know, it's a very important strategic question, isn't it? Yeah, and it's interesting because to come back to that major D point we've we've already talked about before. I bet if you if you sat and talked to them, the i.e. the customer at the other end of it, they'd probably find that they felt that the level of service they were getting from you is is, is significantly lower than it was at the beginning. Because like in relationships that are breaking up, that aren't aren't working for either party, there's a there's both sides of it probably are feeling a little bit resentment, upset, disappointment, whatever you class it as, because they don't Absolutely. feel it wasn't as much as you like. It's not the degree of love that we had on day one. It wasn't that kind of heady. Yeah. yeah. And, and when we were smaller as a company, we could give more attention to all of our customers. Mm. 
And as we grow, it gets more difficult. And they got the personal service from us initially. Yeah. And now they get one of our team. And for them, as you say, that's probably not a great experience either. So it, it's a really good thing to do, I think, that reframing mm-hmm. where what do you actually want to be doing yeah. and then rethinking. And this time of year is great. You know, what stays and what goes for 2022? What do you need to start doing? What do you need to stop doing? Yeah. Just those four questions gives a day's worth of thinking <laughs> just on that alone. And if you can do that with some key people, yeah. then the strategy about where you need to do starts to unveil itself because you suddenly appreciate that you don't know enough about some of your customers' wants. And you do actually need to arrange some time to spend with the key customers over the next two months. Absolutely. You know, and it's those kind of realizations which come out of that time. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I think one of the things that's just I've just noted down on the, the pad here from the point of view of the reframing piece, for example, we, you know, I, the Million Pound Builder podcast is designed for people who are looking to try and get themselves to a million pounds from a point of view yeah. of their personal desk or their business or whatever it might be. But I think, you know, for me, one of the things that sort of just stuck in my head when you're talking about reframing, we've been talking about the, the corporate entity, if you like, and the leaders in that, businesses in that, well, that's, but I think, you know, the reframing points you just made there are perfectly valid for an individual from a consultant point of view or from a personal point of view. You know, do you want to carry on delivering to a company? Do you want to go out and do it yourself? Do you want to, how, yeah. how, how do you want it to look? What sort of space do you want to be in? All that reframing questions that you've posed there from a company point of view. Yeah. I feel you could equally take that and put that into a personal perspective and say, you know, am I in, particularly this time of year, as you say, come to the end of the year, start to think about, yeah. the next year they want to be and they could almost do that from a personal point of view and just just give themselves a bit of a reframing going into 2022 and, and where they want to yeah. be at the end of next year if you like yeah i, I think this idea of the company of one you know mm-hmm. we, we we are a company if we take that attitude towards our own talents and our expertise yeah then you can use that perfectly well as you say mm-hmm. and i think it's it's very powerful when we do that and we liberate ourselves if we detach from the current yeah. And say, okay, I get to reinvent myself if I want to. And again, I think the younger generation, without being too ageist, is far better than this <laughs> than I am, and maybe you are. I think yeah. that, you know, the longer you've been doing something, the harder it is to kind of let go of it. But it's equally important. Well, Nick, thank you very much for your time today. It's been really, really great to chat to you. Just quickly asking you, how, how do people get in touch with you? Is, is LinkedIn the best method? Or Yeah, I, I love LinkedIn. love having personal direct messages on LinkedIn. So that's mm-hmm. one way. The other way to go is to my website, which is www.nickcramp.com. Brilliant. And you can link with me there and you can see more about the book, the program and my ideology. So either of those methods will be great, Adrian. Brilliant. And we'll make sure there's links to those in the description to the podcast so people can just follow those through to your LinkedIn page and to the, to the website, to the personal website. And again, you know, I've, I've really, you know, thank you very much. The, the book has been a revelation. I've read some really interesting stuff in there that I'm going to take on to my, uh, to my companies and looking at some of the stuff I'm doing. And, and I might even do a personal reframing over the next couple of weeks as well. Yeah. But from a point of view of, you know, I think, you know, come back to that, that said analogy, which, which struck me so well when I was reading the book, I think, you know, if you're a, if you're a leader in a business or if you're in a business at the moment, that idea of becoming the owner of the sled and the person that's at the back of it, looking at the future, perhaps the, the, the easiest way to think about this. And, and with Nick's work and the stuff he's put in the book and by reaching out to him, you can perhaps get there with the with the help of Nick and his, uh, his great uh, insights. So again, been really good to speak to you and thank you very much for your time and your information. 
Thank you, Adrian. It's been a pleasure.